0: Hello friends and welcome back. Hope you are having a lovely Monday so far. I feel like I need to be more creative with the entrance to my podcast because I feel like I've got I fall into into this real structure of of saying the same thing but I do always genuinely uh, hope that you are having a a good Monday um, and that the start of your week yeah has got off to a a good start I guess. Um, You know I hope last week was, was a good week. I hope that you enjoyed Uh, the conversation that I had with Lois um where we were talking about guilt shame um and a really great conversation around that and we're still in these kind of big powerful emotions because today we are we are diving into loss and grief um and those kind of things and this is a topic we spoke about last year with Anne Allen who came on um and it's it's such a big topic because I think it's we can have a really narrow view of what grief and loss is. And this is something that I talk about with today's guest, Debbie, um, in the episode. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I um, I do some support work around bereavement, so, so I talk to people about that. But actually, within those conversations, it becomes clear that there are other areas of loss as well that have a massive impact that we often end up exploring because they come up through having been bereaved. Um, but also I've been thinking a lot about transitions, whether it is transitioning in a move to a new area or to a new school or uh, to a new workplace, uh, to a new kind of season of life, getting married, all these kind of things are transitions which can be amazing and open up new opportunities, new possibilities. But in that transition there is also, an element of loss and sadness as well that sometimes we have to grieve for so I think this is a really great topic for us to be exploring because as of, as you know just said there are so so many ways that we can experience loss and grief and um and Debbie shares the the method, the grief recovery method that she uses for herself and also with clients to support them. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Before we dive in, just a quick kind of content warning, just because I know I have some friends who are serious arachnophobes. Um so when we get to my set questions at the end, the joy question, I will uh still Debbie's thunder a little bit. There is a mention of spiders and a little bit geeking out about spiders so if it's something that freaks you out when you get to that question just uh yeah a a warning but not too yeah anyway um I really uh hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll be back super quickly at the end Hi, everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest, Debbie, to the podcast. So, Debbie, welcome, and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hannah, thank you so much for inviting me. So, my name is Debbie Richens, and I am an emotional resilience coach. I specialise in trauma, grief, and loss, and I teach a very specific evidence-based programme that has the most incredible feedback over many, many years that is incredibly effective and yet very simple.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your method and how you support people. But we always like to start with a bit of a, a kind of like definition if we're talking about terms. So we know we're kind of all on the same page. And you mentioned emotional resilience. And I wonder if you could tell us what you mean
1: by that. So emotional resilience means that you have the capability to deal with incidents that come into your life without falling apart at the seams you know that you can bounce back a bit faster more emotionally healthy and more balanced and
0: awesome. balance is definitely something that's on my mind at the moment <laughs> having more balance finding more balance um, and yes yeah, so you said you work around trauma grief and loss and so I'm curious how you how you got into this area of work
1: lifetime of experience of um not just one or two little things but actually quite a a massive pile of various different experiences throughout my life that started in childhood and just seemed to behave a bit like a roller coaster picking things up as it went along having great big dives you know having the occasional high but the dives are always a lot harder than the highs and I had tried so many different types of counselling and therapies and nothing was really hitting the mark. It would sort of touch it and I'd have a small amount of resilience going on and I would have a, a small amount of relief going on. But grief recovery came into my life and it came through networking. And I got to know the lady who brought it into my life. I followed it. And what she said really resonated with me. And of course, in networking, you don't get a lot of time to say a lot. But what she said really hit the mark. Powerful, effective tools. And it occurred to me that if I was ever going to get past all of this trauma And loss and the grief that I carried that went with it I needed to find something more effective and eventually when I was able to finance it I had a chat with her and said should I do this with you first or should I actually take the plunge and go and do the full training so that I can do this with other people and she looked me square in the face and she said to me it'll cost you double if you do it with me so go and train So that's what I did. And within four days, my life had changed tremendously.
0: Wow, that's an amazingly short space of time to have that much transformation. What,
1: What I teach people in seven weeks, I did in two days. So it was very intense. But the intensity really gave me the the boost I needed. And it really, it it was like a bit of a, a volcanic eruption going on. You know, I I let a lot of stuff go. I learned the right way to do it. And I felt a peace that I hadn't had for a very, very long time in my life. And that was only two years ago. You know, it's actually my, my anniversary of my certification is the 17th of June.
0: Awesome, well, wow. Um... Sounds intense, <laughs> but amazing at the same time. Um, and I guess before we sort of get into, you know, how we let go of all of this stuff, I think it's great to think about why. Like, what is the impact of grief and trauma and, and loss and why is it beneficial to kind of let go of some of that stuff?
1: Well, it's hugely there. It's a double whammy with the impact because emotional stuff, of course, gives you uh, doubt and it gives you anxiety and depression and anger and so many other words you know if you put grief into the dictionary you will get at least 20 words that come back that all relate to grief in some way and people don't always recognize those words and so that's a part of what I teach is recognizing the language of grief and it's It's incredibly eye-opening when you look at this plethora of language and you suddenly see, well, yeah, I'm, I'm that and I'm that and I'm that and I'm that. I might not be those things all the time, but they're there in my life when actually I don't really want them to be. But also it's about the physical impact and the physical impact of grief can take you to a point of death because there are two ways of grief grief affecting you emotionally where you cannot change how you feel and eventually it takes you down a path of suicide which is so destructive not just to anything and everything that you were worth in life but everybody around you but also it has the physical impact of how your body connects with the grief and how your body shows it so autoimmune conditions are um widely filled with painkillers and levels and levels of painkillers that keep them doing more damage to the body fibromyalgia um, chronic fatigue you know all of these different things but they are emotionally based and very often from our childhood and I can talk about that with knowledge because I have fibromyalgia which is now very much under control but wasn't when it suddenly exploded into my life as I was going through my divorce and it didn't just floor me, it it nearly killed me a couple of times um, because of other health issues where my body was just under so much duress, everything else came out at once. Because it was being fed by what was going on with the fibromyalgia, and as it was weakening various parts of my body, my body was just saying, Oh, it's time for this to come out and play now, and it's time for that to come out and play now. But this can also go much further, it can damage our muscles, our heart in particular. And there is a particular illness called broken heart syndrome. Now, broken heart syndrome is very prevalent among women women of my sort of age, a bit younger, very prevalent in women who have gone through very difficult divorces and then are having problems being connected to their children and their grandchildren, because it is a break of emotional links, which has such an impact on the body. And sadly, I've lost four friends to broken heart syndrome over the last few years, which is why I've learned so much more about it because when their surgeons in the U S have turned around to them and said, there's nothing else we can do. The emotional damage to your body is so great. And we've done everything we can do, you know, then, then that really brings it home how impactful our emotions are on our body. You know, and, um, we range from so many things in our body, how we eat, how we drink, um, if we take any drugs, how we behave with those drugs, whether they're medicinal or not. Um, And a whole spectrum of other behaviours that that come into our lives that don't serve us. And grief tends to encompass all of those things. So it's it's a long road travelled without often the insight you need to see and recognize what is going on and to actually acknowledge what is going on.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it really demonstrates that mind body connection, doesn't it? That we know, you know, we know about but how impactful it is and how much influence they have. Yeah. Um, and I think with grief, grief, is something we've talked about last year, I think on the podcast, like a while ago, and that, we can have like quite a narrow view of grief and think it's just bereavement which is a a big part of it but actually there are so many things that actually we can grieve for.
1: Grief is everything that doesn't go in the way you expect so you can be in a marriage that dies and you do grieve the loss of that because you grieve the loss of where you started with your hopes dreams and expectations. You know, the job that you've worked so hard for for the last 12 years and all of a sudden the company have done a restructure and the job that you were working towards suddenly doesn't exist anymore. The loss of a friendship because, you know, your childhood friend or your nine years old, your childhood friend and their family have gone to live in Australia, you know, and that's a friendship you've had since you were very young. It's really important it's like having a sibling and all of a sudden they're not there anymore. It's the loss in death of a, a parent or a grandparent or a, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin who were all so very close to you and they, you had a very special connection with them or not. And you suddenly realize that actually there's a lot of that relationship you didn't know you missed and this happens with pet connections it happens with life connections everything we go through in our lives has an impact if we have a car accident it has a knock-on effect and that brings grief because it brings losses into our life if we have a health incident that suddenly stops us working or having a normal family relationship or having any kind of relationship, that is a loss. And so it's about the loss itself that brings the grief and the trauma into our lives. You know, and the, the trauma often comes with the loss, but trauma is a vast spectrum. It's not just the worst thing in the world that can happen. Trauma can happen to a five-year-old when they've lost their favorite teddy that's a traumatic experience and so we need to learn how to have the right language to support that child in the same way as we would support an adult or ourselves and it's incredibly important to learn how to acknowledge how to be empathetic and compassionate and how not to judge and society, as you said at the beginning, you know, you, people feel hemmed in and they're not able to cope because society doesn't help us. Society is full of myths and it's full of immediacy. You've got to stop grieving now. It's, it's all over. It's all done, you know, and, and actually there's no time limit on grief, but you're told, you know, time will heal. And you're told, um, go, and go, go and cry elsewhere. You know, it's like, I can't cope with your tears. Go away. So you're being told to grieve alone. And then, of course, you're told to replace the loss. Oh, of course, we can get you another dog. Don't worry. You know, or, well, it's plenty more fish in the sea. You can go and get another husband, girlfriend, partner, whatever it is. You know, two days after I, I'd i said to somebody, I'm um, very sadly, you know, just about to embark on a divorce, I was told, Oh, we you're a very handsome, knowledgeable woman. You'll you'll get someone in no time. And I just stood there slightly open mouthed and said, actually, I'm really not ready for anyone else in my life right now. I don't want another human being in my life. I just this is a really big deal for me and I'm I'm having a big bad time with this. You know, I'm I don't want another man in my life. But I was told just go ahead and replace. You know, and these are all the myths that actually push us into isolation. And they tell us that our grief is a bad thing. And they tell us that our tears are a bad thing. And actually, we were designed to cry. We were designed to expel everything our body doesn't need anymore. And tears are very, very healthy. But we're made to feel that they're bad. And we're made to feel that our feelings are bad and because we're made to feel like that we create limiting beliefs around ourselves you know and those then have an impact on us and hold us back from achieving a happier healthier, more productive life. yeah it's um yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> I love the but the really broad, you know, about any losses because absolutely, you know, if we've got that narrow view, we then get into that I shouldn't be feeling like this because this isn't like a real thing to, to be grieving. But also, you know, that example that you shared really speaks to that idea of like suppressing that emotion, well, like we just replace it, like it's fine because hey, you could just find a new husband. It's fine. It doesn't like a way of not acknowledging the pain and experiencing it, of going like, well. We we'll just like fix it we'll just we we'll just fix it we'll find a new one it'll be fine but actually
1: it's a it's a sticking plaster you know um, and society is very good at offering you the sticking plaster and not the actual relief you need and you know this is this is what brought me to grief recovery because grief recovery isn't a sticking plaster it's a very empowering set of tools That once you learn how to use them, gives you the space to be honest and acknowledge yourself, what it is you are experiencing, being really honest with yourself, not just, oh, I'm okay, it's all right, you know, popping it into Pandora's box on our shoulder. It's about sitting there and being really honest with yourself and saying, actually, this is how I really feel about the situation. This is what I really need to say about this situation. But it's also about learning how we must take responsibility for our part in any one of those experiences we've had, because it has been scientifically proven that if we cannot take responsibility and give at least one percent of effective forgiveness, we will never move forward from the things that are trapping us emotionally. And so we teach how to really think about the things that you need to forgive and to apologize for. And we give space for people to create significant emotional statements because there are lots of things we need to say, but we just don't say them because we are suppressed by society. And, you know, you often hear people say, oh, I've got nothing to forgive. I've got nothing to apologize for, but actually we all have things to forgive and to apologize. Because it isn't just about the action of what happened, it's about our responses, how we behaved, either with our spoken word or with our behaviours themselves. And it's those things that we're taking responsibility for. We're not taking responsibility for somebody else's behaviour, it's our own behaviour. And that's the vital bit that you're never taught in counselling and therapists. You know, and and when I found that with grief recovery, that was a massive aha. Because I was on the verge of it, but I didn't really know how to do it effectively. And when I found how to do it effectively. Everything changed in such a healthy way. And that's what we need in society is what we don't want is society suppressing us we need society to say to us let's sit and talk this through give you the space to be honest with who you are yeah
0: I think that idea of personal responsibility is like a really interesting one isn't it because we if we feel that we've been wronged by someone and that idea of forgiving it can be really like no because they've wronged me but when we're holding on to that we're the one that's staying stuck they've quite possibly gone on with their life. Don't even, <laughs> don't even know. And um, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Choice by Edith Eager.
1: No, that's one I've not
0: come across. Oh, it's awesome. So she is um, a clinical psychologist and she was at Auschwitz as um, wow. like a 16 year old girl. And, um, and so there's so much in that, but it's really interesting about grief and about her journey. But she is saying, you know, if you are trying to prove something to someone uh, or you're you're holding on to that you have created a prison in your own mind and you are keeping yourself trapped and exactly. and also something about grief which I really found interesting was that you know if you're kind of holding on to something that happened in your past and like oh well what if my like if my life would have been so different you have to kind of grieve for that lost
1: mm-hmm.
0: opportunity Absolutely. in that lost life but um yeah fab book I would recommend it mm-hmm. um,
1: yes know. and what she's alluding there is to the loss of hope, streams, and expectations. It's like when you're walking down the aisle for your wedding, you know, you're before you, you see a long, happy family life, you know, children, uh, grandchildren, amazing holidays, amazing celebrations. But if the marriage doesn't work, all of those hope, streams, and expectations have gone. And that's what she's alluding to there with being trapped in that, horrible place where their lives literally just came to a stop and everything that they had going forward vanished. Yeah.
0: I mean it's um so interesting because she had she had this thing that she held on to that kind of kept her going and she is really interested in how some people kind of survived and thrived and some people didn't and, and really struggled even when they were liberated to to kind of move on and then staying stuck in that place. Um, yeah, so it's a fab, fab book I'd recommend. Mm, but
1: I'll look that one up.
0: Yeah. So, so you'd mentioned about you know, personal responsibility and you mentioned about powerful tools. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit of how we actually do this, the grief mm. recovery.
1: So with grief recovery, what we teach first and foremost is the language and the behaviors of grief. Because once we start to understand how we use those things, A, we start to stop using the destructive negative language and behaviours. B, we start to see more of it around us, we start to recognise it in others. And we start to see people in a different light, we perceive differently. And that's really important, because then we start to learn more about the people around us that are grieving, because we're understanding the language and behaviours they're using. And it might be that they're also in a very bad place and they actually need support. But before we weren't able to give it because we didn't see it or understand it. So that's incredibly important. And the acknowledgement of language and behaviours is a massive step in moving forward in your life. Then it's looking at um, really diving deep into your own losses and looking really closely at your losses and being really honest with yourself about them as well. You know, you're you're not expected to remember every single loss. It's just not possible. But you'd be surprised how many things pop up as you suddenly sit down and really take the time to look at your life's journey. And then when you look at that life's journey, you can see which losses you've had in your life have been massively impactful, which have done a little dent And which are the fillers in between, which are the things that are often sort of just sustain all the big stuff. And then what you do is you dive into the relationship or the event that is the big stuff. And you look more closely at that. And along the way, you learn about your apologies, your forgives and whatever else you really need to say in your significant statements. Because these are so incredibly important. And we work towards creating a letter and the letter is for no one else but yourself. But that letter is incredibly important because that is the place you let go. We created in a very specific format because it makes it more effective if you have a regular format to follow and it's much easier to remember how to do if you haven't done one for six months, for, you know, because you may not have had the need, but all of a sudden something else happens in your life six months later and you think, I know how to deal with that. And, it, you know, because you've used these tools a bit and you've practiced, yeah, I know how to do that and I can write my letter. But the whole of this journey is witnessed by myself or another one of the advanced specialists that, that does this all over the world. Because you are speaking in a safe, secure place solely to us. And we are witnessing your words. And that's really, really important because it is about being heard. And it's the one thing that society does not do. Even our GPs don't have the time to hear us properly. And unless we stamp our feet and say, you are just not listening, they very quickly shoo us out the door with whatever package of pills they can pop in our hands, you know, or yes, I'll refer you to so and so and then you hear nothing else. Whereas this process actually creates space for you to be heard. And the action of doing it on a continued basis as you are growing your practice to use the tools is really, really important because it helps you to learn how to use the tools effectively. You know, nobody's turning around and saying to you, well, I don't agree with that. You shouldn't have said that because it's not a judgmental place. They're your thoughts, feelings and emotions. And if you can't express them safely, then that's not going to help you to heal. So it's really important that this journey that we give is about holding the person safely in their own hopes, dreams and emotions, and actually releasing those things by fully acknowledging what they are and how they've affected you as a person. You know, whether it be a physical event, whether it be a human event, whether it be a health issue, you know, whatever it is, if you can't express in your own words, you're never going to release it. And you can't do it all in the first letter either. You know, it's actually about understanding that you've just let go of a lot of big stuff and it can be quite ah uh, frightening you know you sort of sit there and go oh what the hell have I done you know this is this is actually a bigger can of worms than I thought but actually one of my clients said it recently it is a, a lot like the specialist scar work I do she said I opened that box and I looked at it and I nearly panicked But then I realized as I started doing the work, it's about smoothing the scars. It's not about opening them up and erupting them. So it's a really gentle process, even though it can be a bit ouchy along the way. But ouchy is good. It's like when something's healing physically, you know, that scar on your arm that's hurting, but you can physically see that it's closing up and getting better you know, or where you scraped your knee and it's a real mess, but, you know, and it hurts like crazy for a few days, but all of a sudden it's better. And that's exactly what happens with our thoughts and our feelings and emotions and how we're releasing them. It's a bit ouchy to begin with, but actually as we get into it, that ouchy lessens and it becomes easier to do. So that I love the analogy of the smoothing of the scars because, you know, ultimately, that's what we all want is our scars to be healed. But it's how we go about doing it. And it's how we take responsibility for doing it ourselves. So the whole process works towards the end of the letter where we say goodbye. But you think about it in the terms of a telephone call. You always say goodbye. You never think twice to say goodbye but people get to the end of the letter and they, oh, I can't write goodbye. I'm I'm going to forget who they are. I'm going to forget this. I'm going to forget. You won't forget. What you're doing is you're signaling the release of the emotion from the words so that you no longer have the pain. And it's incredibly powerful and incredibly effective and actually quite gentle.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like... um yeah an amazing process that's also something that then people have like you said they know how to write that letter and they can do it when you know when they when they need to and I think there's something amazing you said about that holding that space and then kind of hearing the letter because I think there's there's that letting it out yourself and kind of processing it but having it be heard not by the person by by someone to acknowledge it and I think there's something that makes it I don't know, like more real or that it's, it's, it, yeah, it's just been acknowledged. It's been, it's been heard. It's not just me keeping it. I've got it out on the paper, but then someone else has heard it. And, and I feel this could just be me. <laughs> like I'm a real overanalyzer. And like, you know, if I wrote a letter, I'd probably be like, oh, is it all right? And is it whatever? And there's something I think about someone hearing it in a non-judgmental way Completely. to help you kind of go, yeah, it is okay. And it's out there now.
1: You know, the thing is, this is the beauty of grief recovery. There is no space for judgment or criticism because who am I to tell you what words you should be using for your grief, for your loss, for your trauma? I am just the instrument to hear you, support you and acknowledge what you've been through and to give you that space to allow those tears to come if you need them. It's not my space to turn around and say, well, sorry, you shouldn't be crying about that. That's ridiculous. Because actually we all grieve about all kinds of different things in different ways. You know, and and you can have the similar grief or, you know, the same grief. Say a best friend going to the other side of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're a child or a teenager or an adult. You will still have a sense of loss that physical relationship you know you'll still have the relationship on the telephone and on email and on messenger and on any one of these video platforms that we now have but it's that physical closeness that you lose that actually is so vital to how you feel about the relationship so you could have 10 people that are all having that experience but are all experiencing it differently. Because that's what grief is. It is a unique process that each one of us goes through. You know, we could have 10 car accidents. And they might all be similar car accidents. And we might all have similar injuries. But we will all perceive that in a different way. And that's what makes our grief unique. You know, so when somebody turns around and says to you, oh, gosh, yes. When my dad died, this, 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 and this, and this. Well, no, I don't feel any of that. My grief is different to yours. You know, and I did this, this and this to get over it. Well, no, I, I really struggled with trying to do those things. I, I find that difficult. So it's not about comparing our grief, because actually comparison of grief also diminishes the person who is grieving. It makes them feel awkward, difficult, uncomfortable. And so they just stop talking about it. And it goes back to internalizing the grief, which then causes us problems emotionally and physically.
0: I've spoken uh, with people, I, I do some support around bereavement. And I think people also compare to themselves and they kind of go, oh, but when I lost that person, that was different. To, so like, why is this one so difficult? But actually each of those relationships is a different relationship. So even for yourself, each grief is a different
1: completely completely every single experience of grief is unique no matter whether we've lost both parents whether we've you know lost half a dozen dogs we have a different relationship with each one of those bereavements and so each journey of grief is going to be different you know uh, for example Um, My mother's just recently died. She died on the 1st of May. And the journey to her death was real roller coaster. Lots and lots of stuff came out through hospital and various other things. And it was a it was a it was a real cracker of a journey. But I sat down at every single point, every single thing that came up, and I sat and I did grief recovery. And I worked through all the things that were causing anger, distress, pain, grief, anxiety, all of the other things in between. And I diminished the pain that was attaching to those words. So it meant, because my mother had very severe sight and hearing issues, that I was able to be her voice clearly without being full of the emotion that went with it. You know, and it meant that I was able to be really present, fully present for her. Because with COVID, because she was, she had the diagnosis she had, I had a half an hour visit once a week. But half an hour with somebody who is virtually blind and almost totally deaf is incredibly hard, you know, you have to get inventive. And if you've got all the emotion and everything stuck in the middle of that, you're not going to have an effective 30 minutes. And I had to really think about what I wanted in these last few months with my mother alive. You know, did I want to be full of all that angst and take that into her, into her room in her care home every day, that I went to see her? Or did I want to be fully present for her? So I sat down and actually I started the practice of sitting down once a week with another colleague over a year ago now. And we made a commitment to each other that we would use these tools for whatever came up. So I was already doing the practice on a regular basis. And bless her lovely heart, she heard an awful lot of stuff. And she really supported me through it. But just having that acknowledgement, you know, that I needed to let that out rather than allow it to cause me further problems. It was amazing. But the other thing it gave me was the last few hours of my mother's life in peace and actually almost in joy because her passing was so quiet and I didn't immediately fall into a terrible self-beating-up mess I was actually able to function really well. And, um, you know, you, you hear people say that, oh, I, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I've lost the person who's so important to me. But actually i had done all that in those letters. So actually what I was able to do was I was able to sit peacefully with her in that last time of her life. And I was able to enjoy her energy although it wasn't much, you know, as it often isn't, I was able to feel that between us. And having done this journey with my father back in 2013, when he died of breast cancer, without the tools, I can see a massive comparison of how well I dealt with the process. Because ultimately, when my father died, I ended up having a breakdown some months later. Because I just took all the cares of the world on my shoulder and I didn't cope very well. Whereas this time, I've actually put all the cares of the world outside the door and said, time for me. So emotionally, I'm in a much stronger, more positive place. And I'm able to talk about her death quite freely without disappearing into this mess of of emotion that actually makes people feel uncomfortable. And I feel really settled with that, you know, and I feel really comfortable with that. And that's actually so important for us, because if we keep disappearing into that pain of emotion, it's actually so unsettling. And our recovery as well, you know, it it can be four hours of, of feeling like that, you know, and then a few more hours of settling down and calming down and coming back to life you've lost a day of your life, you know, and you can't regain that. Whereas this way, I've really managed to deal with that. And I'm able to live each day and start to come back to life in a a healthy way, rather than a destructive way that, that keeps pulling me backwards all the time.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a really um, a powerful story of showing the benefit of, of the work that you do and and how it can help, you know, with that grieving process, but also to really give you that time with your mum and that you know peace and yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Debbie. Before I ask you my set questions, do you have a final thought that you'd like to share with us about grief, trauma, loss, or life in general?
1: Well, really, I think the most important thing is to be honest with yourself. And it's the one thing that I always advise everybody, you know, be honest with yourself, because the more honest you are with yourself, the better journey will be to releasing the pain and finding you again.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. So, yes, I have some set questions I ask everyone that comes on and I'd love to hear your thoughts on these and the first one is what brings you joy in your life?
1: Oh, what brings me joy? Oh, there are so many things. The smile of a grandchild with a hug, who adores you and um, picking up a paintbrush, being able to draw and paint. The dog who's completely nutty. I have a three-legged Jack Russell. She was uh, she, born without a paw on her foot and the leg didn't grow properly, so she had to have surgery, but she is an absolute joy, and I wouldn't have her any other way. The simple things, looking at a spider on a spider's web, I am still in awe, after all these years of watching and knowing how they do it, I'm still in awe of how incredibly amazing they are, and you know how they survive through so much, and uh, Yeah, all the little things in between, the the sun shining, the rain falling, the wind. You know, it's um, they're all really important elements of who we are and how we are.
0: Yeah, spiders are so interesting. I could
1: could go off on a especially cane spiders. you know, I love the fact that they just sort of they they pose on their webs, in Mm -hmm. the middle of the garden, as if to say, "Look at me, aren't I so clever?"
0: I quite like. Well, I don't necessarily like them, although we've got one that lives in our downstairs bathroom that every now and then like pops out like, hi. Uh, the big, big house spiders because they have like a horizontal web and they sit on top yeah. of it, which is really freaky if you happen to be underneath one because it looks like yeah. that. But it's so interesting. Um, my favorite is the peacock spider. I don't know if you've ever seen those. They no, are, you should Google them. They're stunning. So they're about the size of like a little fingernail, but they oh. are like peacocks, beautiful. And the males do a little dance. To attract the female. So go off on a tangent, but they're a really fun spider. Even people that don't like spiders, if you see the pictures, they're like, oh, they're quite cute actually. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next question is what makes life meaningful for you?
1: What makes life meaningful is giving people part of themselves back or giving them the tools to give part of themselves back to themselves. Having done that journey, And suddenly realising how much of myself was buried under the maws of society when I was 15. You know, the expectations of the adults around me. Actually, we all do those things. We all bury who we are in certain aspects. Because somebody else has said to us when we're young, actually, you know, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. And there's no reason why we've got. But there is a reason for us to shine. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, my next
0: two questions are around our overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental well-being. So the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you?
1: Mental wellness means resilience. It means that balance of life where I'm not suddenly falling off a cliff with distress and um, I'm able to get out and enjoy everything there is around me, my relationships with the people in my life, my relationships with the animal in my life, or the animals. We have a parrot as well, um, although she's not an animal; she's a bird. <laughs> and um, you know, just um, being able to be happily and healthily.
0: Yeah, amazing. And then my follow up is always for yourself. What you do to look after your mental well being?
1: Actually, I practice my tools of grief recovery constantly because they have been the greatest investment and gift to myself. You know, the thing about grief recovery is that most things only address our tangible physical grief, the stuff that we can see, the stuff that we can see how it's affecting us. But what it forgets is the intangible. So it's our self-esteem, our self-worth, our value, those things that are invisible. So that actually is paramount to your mental health, because those are the things that create the beliefs that draw you back into a bad place, a difficult place. And being able to address those and being able to say in my letter, this is how I feel about this actually is incredibly powerful for my emotional health.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for that. Uh, The next question is sometimes a bit of a challenge for people. So we'll see. Uh, (laughs) How would you describe your own mindset?
1: My mindset is in a, a very positive place. My mindset wasn't for a long time. I carried a lot of self doubt. I carried a lot of devaluation about myself and who I was. I accepted everything as a punishment for behaviors whether I they were real or imagined Um, I really struggled for many many years and then it goes back to finding those tools again and learning how to address the things you know because the more you you look at those things that are causing you the distress and the pain the easier it is to detach from them you know and it's um, it's hugely empowering to be able to do that and if you can empower yourself and then empower others around you then that's a greater gift
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's so powerful Um, my next question is my favorite one to ask Uh, so I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with between one and three top tips of things that we can try in our life that could have a massive impact so it could be about grief and loss could just be general Uh, but do you have a top one to three tips for us
1: so top one to three tips is never to isolate yourself even if it's just walking out into nature never isolate yourself because that can be actually quite destructive. You know, if, if you're worried about being on your own, stepping outside your front door and feeling the weather on your face and hearing the birds and, you know, the small animals and the noises of life are actually incredibly healthy for you. Even if you don't interact with another human being, that's a really powerful, effective tool for wellness. And it's a really simple one you know, and um, that in itself is very powerful, detaching from the television and the telephone and all of these other things that we have in our houses that keep us sat in a place and not moving around. So getting out into the fresh air and just being in the world, you know, and not panicking about whether you're, you're meeting somebody or you know, you're going to take a bus ride or whatever it is, because it's about observing what's around you and taking that in. And it's incredible, actually. It's something I did when I was going through my divorce. I took myself out for a walk every single day in the new area that I had moved into, um, that I'd known from my childhood and I was familiar with, but I wasn't familiar with as an adult. And I took myself out to explore every single day when I got home from work. And it gave me a wonderful sense of perspective of what was around me. And I did it no matter what with the weather. And on the walk in one particular place, I met a bird in a hedge who was extremely nonplussed that I was walking past that little spot every day and would come out and pop its head out through the bush and peck away at me and talk at me and and would be really upset with me and go away go away and I'd say hello to it and I got into this habit of talking to this bird every day and all of a sudden this little bird stopped shouting at me and started to just pop its head out and look and go oh it's you again right oh yeah you're okay I can go back to you know where I am what I'm doing so that was an amazing interaction that I never expected, but it was an incredibly powerful experience and we don't interact enough with nature in any way. You know, we spend a lot of our times glued to TVs and, and our computers on our, our phones, you know, as well as the computers on our desks. So that is very powerful. The next one is about doing the best you can to look after yourself with your diet food and drink you know being really mindful and actually remembering that water is the stuff of life and it really is you know so much of what we are relies on water so having water as a drink or as a herbal tea so that you're not filling it up with fat from the milk and things is actually really really good for you and it's really good to Drink plenty for your body for the day. It helps to clear your mind. It helps your body to function properly. It helps to keep everything moving. You know, your your muscles and your eyes and your mouth, everything. So actually, yeah, that's really important. And I know some people look at me as if I've gone a bit bonkers because my flask goes everywhere with me. (laughs) I've always got water. Even if, you know, I'm, I'm having a coffee, I will have a water. It's actually really, really good for you. And the third one is about not beating yourself up, not being judgmental to yourself. It's actually about saying, yes, that was horrible. And, you know, yes, I had a part in what happened, but actually I didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't done deliberately. I'm not going to judge myself and say, why did I do that? I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to treat myself with compassion and with empathy because the more we treat ourselves with compassion and empathy, the faster we will get over the things that have happened and we will be able to cope with them better.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, brilliant tips. Um, Yeah, and then the next question is a recommendation question. So I've already mentioned a book Uh, I love to read, but I also love TED Talks. So I wonder if you have a book or a TED Talk that's been really impactful in your life that you'd like to share with us.
1: Well, there you are, there's the $10 million question, because that's actually a massive bundle. But I would say, actually, for me, one that was really, really impactful, many years ago, was grief recovery. You know, when I first found grief recovery, and I read through that book, it brought a massive emotion out. But what it also did was it showed me an amazing path going forward and it was a it was money well spent because the book literally as you see is covered in little bits of paper I have little tags everywhere and I live and breathe this you know I I constantly pick it up and remind myself of how amazingly effective these tools are and this is called the grief recovery handbook and it teaches the grief recovery method which is the only program of its kind that is evidence-based around grief and bereavement and loss there is nothing else like it in the world and this has over 30 years worth of evidence behind it that proves it works And it changes lives, sometimes very subtly, sometimes very powerfully, and sometimes at every level in between. We all experience change, positive, effective change in a different way. It's what makes us unique. But this, for me, is the most powerful book I've ever read. And it's a really simple read. The first three the first three chapters are 10, 10 pages 12 pages and 16 pages so it's a really simple read. It's not like war and peace or you know a bit of uh, a, a bit of historical fact fiction you know it's actually it's a gentle journey and there's always something in it that's like yeah mm.
0: yeah brilliant thank you so much for that recommendation I'm definitely going to check it out so
1: uh, yeah um if you order it from grief uk it comes post free Mm -hmm. so griefuk.org and they are usually unless it's a weekend order usually you get it within a day or two usually the next day and you know if if they're on full staff they can be on full pelt with the post as well so yeah yeah Awesome well
0: Debbie thank you so much and that brings me to my last question which is where people can connect with you if they're interested in working with you where they can find all your details.
1: Okay so I have a little calling card that I can give you with all the information for afterwards Um, but um, people connect with me on Facebook so um, I spell my name slightly differently to everybody else I spell it D-E-B-I And my surname is Richens, R-I-C-H-E-N-S. I I have a business page, but a lot of people like to connect to me personally because I do talk personally about grief and grief recovery on my on my personal page. I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm very happy to connect there. I have my Web page, griefuk.org forward slash Debbie, D-E-B-I. And yeah, I, I really can't do all the other social media because I don't have enough arms, ears and, and heads really to deal with it all. So I tend to stick to LinkedIn and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for people to private message me and, and ask me questions there. They don't have to connect. But if they want to ask me questions, then I'm really happy for them to do that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you nice and easily yeah. from there as well. Thank you so much, Debbie. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. I think it's been fab. So.
1: Oh, thank you again, Hannah, for inviting me. It's been a real joy to speak with you. And I have to say, yeah. I do like your questions at the end. Oh, you yes. know, it's um, every podcast I do is slightly different, but they were, they were really thoughtful questions and I really enjoyed the opportunity. Thank yeah. you.
0: Oh, thanks. So thanks again to Debbie for joining us for this conversation. And as I said, I really hope that you find you found this conversation useful. Uh, the Grief Recovery Handbook is still on my list of books to check out. I always have books to read at the moment. Uh, a little a recommendation, obviously, I mentioned The Choice by Edith Ego, which I would absolutely recommend. And um, she has been interviewed on quite a lot of podcasts, I think, when her book came out. Um, so also you could, could listen to one of those. Uh, at the moment i am reading authentic happiness by martin seligman who is sort of the father of positive psychology um and he has uh, several books i've got a little stack a couple of his to read but at the moment i'm reading authentic happiness which i am really enjoying and it's really about being happy in an authentic way and and finding meaning and uh identifying your signature strengths and how we can use those so Um, a really lovely book. And, you know, I'm still focusing on balance. I'm still focusing on lots of those kind of things that we sort of mentioned in this and I mentioned last week, but that is a book that I'm loving at the moment. So I thought I'd mention that briefly to you, but we will be back on Monday next week with another episode. So until then, short and sweet today, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.